There's a lot of questions, aren't there? A lot, a lot of questions. We've been doing this series. My friend has a question. I, I, I want to encourage you to come back next week. I'm going to talk about why is there suffering in the world and how, how come sometimes we get miracles and sometimes we don't. These are the hardest stinking questions in the world. I mean, you know, you guys could have asked us, you know, why didn't the Bears sign Forte or something like that? We could have spent 30 minutes talking about that, but no, you guys have asked all the hard ones and that's what we're talking about. Uh, I invite you back next week. Today, we're going to talk about uh, gays, lesbians in the church, uh, the LGBT issue. Um, before I get that far, I, I got a shout out from Brian Hunt, our former pastor, who was uh, now out in California. Got to see him this week. And I just want, I just want you to know how proud I am. Brian was our campus pastor at our Lockport, now Homer campus. And shout out to you guys. Um, just really cool to get to see him. He's out in California at a church out there. And we were at a church gathering for pastors of large churches, and he are one. So uh, he was there with us. Really, really fun. Also need to apologize for those of you that love the vegetables. Um, you know, two weeks ago, I, I, uh, I was a little hard on Brussels sprouts and, and kale. Uh, and I, um, a, a misinformed young man sent me that. <laughs> Feel really bad, Caleb. I, I, I didn't mean you. I was talking about the green stuff, okay? Um, got all that out of the way. Uh, this is like Fox and Friends. I just have to keep going back and apologizing for everything I did two weeks ago. The volunteer rally um, uh, is coming up in a couple of weeks, March 10th and March 14th at the Homer campus. So if you haven't been there yet, any of our volunteers, if you want to be a volunteer, we need you, whatever. But, but just a way for you, us to tell you a little bit more about this uh, cigar uh, region church. Um, we want to run a mission, a yard from the gates of hell. I don't know if you like cigars, maybe it's a yard from heaven, but one way or the other, we're planting in the DR. We're obviously planting a campus in New Lenox. We're going to be uh, planting uh, some other campuses. We're going to be doing some other work. And so we're doing a Daring Faith campaign. We're going to do that coming up in April, and we want to let you know about it. So I invite you to come out March 10th, March 14th. we got appetizers and desserts, just a, a short time for us to get together, spend some time worshiping, and you get to see the Homer campus. So come and join us, all right? My friend has a question. Is there room for gays and, and lesbians in, in the church? And it's not easy. Uh, none of these are easy topics. Obviously, um, this was one of the top ones. And some of you may misinterpret coming in right away, thinking, great, this is one of those churches that's always beating, you know, this polarizing issue, trying to, you know, beat, beat us down on it. And the truth is, I don't want to talk about it. I, I would rather talk about which view of the millennial view that you have about Jesus coming back, which is my second least favorite topic. I don't want to talk about politically, socially, uh, religiously divisive things. I want us to all get together. And especially in this issue, it seems like uh, people from the Christian community and people outside the Christian community, just they just don't want to talk at all. They just want to be like, you know, this 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 dog that somebody sent me, you know, just like, I'm just going to rip you apart. It doesn't matter where you're at on the issue. That seems like what it is. And today, the, this issue is only easy for you if you don't have any gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender friends or family, okay? It's only easy for you if you've never been invited to a gay or lesbian wedding. It's only easy for you if you've never had a son or daughter or a family member tell you those two words that changed everything, I'm gay, it's only easy if you've never had to live your life as a same-sex attracted person wondering what was going to happen when your church friends found out. 
Discussing this is an emotionally charged uh, issue, okay? So some of you are going to automatically think that because we're a large modern church that's trying to bring Jesus to the 21st century in a relevant way that we're way over on the left side on this issue. Others are going to say, oh, well, you know, you've got an old pastor from Oklahoma, you know, which is right under the state where those guys are from that go around and picket everybody with a sign that says God hates them on them. You know, Kansas is right above Oklahoma. That's where I grew up. You're going to think I'm way over on the right on this issue. And the truth of the matter is I have not ever had this issue in my own life as far as same-sex attraction in my life, but I have had it in my family life. I have had it, I known, I've known people all of my life, I have friends now, and all of my life, back in the 70s and the 80s when it was not out in the open, I had a lesbian aunt. And I say had, she died of breast cancer about 10 years ago. And I would say that as confusing as it was for me as a child, and, and as much as it was still kind of in the closet in mainstream along the way, I think my parents did a great job. From what I could see, my family did a great job of being able to love Judy and her partner for 35 years, Marion, all the way through. Even when it wasn't cool to do that, I think they showed them a lot of love. Now, I didn't know all the insides. That, that They were older. They lived farther away from us. I didn't get to see them as much as I would have liked. But there was never an issue for us. And I hope that you know, if you're coming from the LGBT community today, that there will never be an issue. Okay? Now, the problem is, because you're going to say, you're going to think, well, he's sliding one way or the other. I decided to do something a little bit different and let you hear from somebody that's hard to argue with. Caleb Kaltenbach uh, preached here a couple of years ago, and um, Caleb is a good friend of mine, went to the same Bible college I went to. He's a pastor out in California. I'm going to be preaching at his church doing Life on Mission in May. Um, great, great friend, great guy who grew up with three gay parents. I'm like, how's that happen? Well, when his parents were divorced, his parents divorced when he was two. His dad went off to live in a gay lifestyle, and his mom took a partner, and so he was really raised by, uh, by a lesbian couple most of his life in Missouri, in a place where pretty conservative area, and he grew up hating Christians until somebody finally showed him who Jesus was. So he was supposed to come in this weekend. He had issues with a kid being sick. Love for you to pray for him. Um, I think everything's going to be okay, but they just couldn't make it this weekend. So while we were together last week at this uh, conference, I just grabbed him for an interview, and I'll let you listen. Uh, thank you for hanging out. Our congregation heard you a couple years ago, those that were around, and uh, and loved it, and I'm, I, I feel like, you know, I feel like you're the go-to guy for when it comes to talking about issues of LGBT and, and how we deal with it because of your background, and so I know you're probably tired of it to a certain degree, so talk about what it was like, you know, growing up in the community, learning to hate Christians, becoming a Christian, because, because honestly, okay, I, more than anything else, want to love everyone. You know this. I mean, right. we're friends. You know that I, I, I'm more about the people outside the body than I am inside the body sometimes to a fault. And I, and I don't want to offend, but at the same time, I've got to walk this line, and you kind of came through it. So help, help me out with that. Yeah, so um, here, here's where I've learned, and I'll tell you my story in a second. But honestly, it is all about loving people mm. and treating people like people. And that's what a lot of people don't understand is that you're not talking about some faceless community, you're talking about real people, real feelings, 
and they have real lives. And I think we forget that yeah. some of the times. And I saw that firsthand uh, when I was two years old. My parents got a divorce, and both of them went into same-sex relationships. My dad uh, was very quiet about his relationship. I didn't find out until later on. Uh, my mom, on the other hand, uh, she was in uh, a monogamous relationship for 22 years, and she was very loud and proud. She and her partner moved to Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, they took uh, me with them to... Uh, uh, activist events. They, they joined, raised you. They raised me, yeah. yeah. Okay. They, they joined the local board of directors for GLAD. Uh, they were very, very active in everything that happened. I grew up going to gay pride parades, marches, campouts, parties. You name it, I was there. And there's one thing I learned, that Christians hate gay people. Mm. My mother instilled it in me in a huge way that you judge a whole community by the extremists. Now, we know that whatever community we talk about now that's not right. right, whether it's the Christian right. community, the Muslim community, mm. whatever community we're talking about. But it was just ingrained in me. I mean, mm. I remember marching down this pride parade one time, and at the end of this parade were all these Christians who were holding up signs saying, God hates you, there's no room. And if that wasn't offensive enough, they were spraying water and urine over everybody at the same time. And I remember I looked at my mom and I said, Mom, why are they acting like this? Mm. And she said, the line, Caleb, they're Christians. Christians hate gay people. This is what I saw over and over and over again, whether it was a young man dying from AIDS and his Christian family mm -hmm. not wanting to touch him. But this was instilled in me. And by the but, but, it, but you say it instilled in you. You were indoctrinated to a certain degree, but you literally witnessed it. And that's it wasn't like I mean. they were making it no, up, no. you know, saying, no, this, and, is, you know, this is a fairy tale. Christians are this way. You saw it. Right. You witnessed it. And so when I say instilled, I honestly mean that the experiences I saw instilled it in me, but also so did what my mother mm -hmm. say. So mm -hmm. it was both those working together. By the time I got to high school, my life was out of control. I had a really awkward worldview. Um, I used to have hair like you. It was actually down to here. That's awesome. The Lord taketh away I, I, and addeth other places. I, I think I need a picture of that because I don't think I've ever seen no, it. No, that will never happen. <laughs> So I, I ended up going to this Bible study. I got invited to a Bible study led by a high schooler, four high schoolers. And I'd never been in a Christian home before, let alone an evangelical Christian home. So it was pretty incredible. I remember walking in there. and as well, Wait I, a minute. Why? Tell me why. Why would you go? I went because I wanted to disprove Christianity. I went because I couldn't stand Christians because of everything that I saw. And really, my heart against Christianity was really my heart against the extremists, mm. the legalists, the ultra-religious zealots. So I got invited to this high school Bible study. I went. As I said, I had never been in a Christian household before. I remember walking into the household, and I looked around. I was like, why are there framed pictures of lion and sheep? And why are there verses and a Middle Eastern little shepherd kid over here in a framed picture? You know. And I turned to my friend, and I said... Is that part of the deal? If I be turn Christian, do I have to get a sheet picture, <laughs> put it on my wall? Yeah, a tattoo, actually. Yeah, a tattoo. And so I, I went downstairs, and we started studying 1 Corinthians. I was in 1 Chronicles. And uh, <laughs> they realized real quick I wasn't a Christian. But I also realized something. I realized that Jesus was not like the people on the street corners. That Jesus had very deep uh, theological convictions, expectations for how we should live our life, but he also had very deep relationship with people who were not like him, which was everybody, but also people who were far away from God. And so I saw a huge difference between the Jesus presented in the Gospels and the Jesus 
presented over here on the street corners. Mm -hmm. Or actually, I think you would agree, today our street corners are Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, yeah. Snapchat. Yeah, Those are the street corners of today. Mm -hmm. And I studied Jesus, and I could get on board with him. Here's where the rubber met the road. I started studying what the Bible had to say about sexuality and gender and marriage because I knew that would be an issue for my mom and I knew my dad uh, had a, a very a unique perspective on it. As I said, I didn't know that he was uh, same, in a same-sex relationship of any kind until later on, but I knew this would be a big deal for him. And the more I studied uh, gender, sexuality, marriage, here's what I learned. That uh, the Bible said a lot of things about love, but specifically when it came to same-sex intimacy, the Bible said, hey, God created intimacy to be expressed in the context of marriage between one man and one woman. And that was a huge thing that I had to come to terms with, even years after thinking through it and coming to terms mm -hmm. with it. But I also came to this uh, conclusion as well, that a theological conviction should never be a catalyst to treat someone less. That if our theology mm -hmm. allows us to mistreat somebody, marginalize somebody, push somebody to the side, devalue someone, then that theology is awful. It's like in John chapter 8 when the Pharisees grab this woman caught in adultery and drag her before Jesus, right? You know, they were right about what the law said, but they were wrong in how they approached it. Mm -hmm. And I, I know you see that as well. Absolutely. So fast forward, you go, to, you go to Bible college, same one I went to, very conservative, you know, very um, Bible belt. Um, you go to preach at a church, fills in on the rest of the story because your mom came to church, which had to have been one of the best moments in your life, but it turned out to be that all those stereotypes that your mom had told you came back were still kind of there. Yeah, they came back to haunt. I preached in this church uh, for 18 months, and we had 25 people in the church, 50 people in the town. We had half our town one for Christ. I mean, I'm convinced we were the largest church per capita in the world yeah, at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. probably so. Yeah. So I finally was able to get my mom to come with me. After about a year and a half, she came. The next Sunday, I wanted her to come back. She didn't, but two elders were waiting for me instead. And I remember I walked up uh, to the doorsteps getting ready to preach, and they said, we need to talk to you first. And so they took me back to the back room, and we really only had two rooms in the front <laughs> room, the back room. You've seen those churches. I've been there. Yeah. And so they said, Caleb, if you want to keep preaching, don't you ever bring somebody like your mother again. And I was shocked. I was like, you're kidding me. Are you serious? And they said, we don't like those people. And I said, well, I don't like you. And I walked out of there and, you know, Tim, I just, that's not the kind of church I want to be a part of. And I told God, I want to be a part of a church that is uh, filled with broken people, filled with people who are hurting, filled with people who are uh, from different ethnicities, filled from, with people from different socioeconomic backgrounds filled with people who are cutting, hurting, questioning their sexuality, not questioning their sexuality, people who are uh, doing all sorts of things or have different views, because that's what the church is, bro. Mm -hmm. The church is really a mosaic of broken lives that God has united together to glorify himself. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that Jesus Christ ever came down to die on the cross for a little members-only country club that is really a Pharisee factory. But um, you did experience what it was like for your mom to a certain degree, even as you were trying to love her into the kingdom, you experienced what she experienced. So how, how do we deal with it when somebody comes in, like your mom, you come into the church, and 
we, and I'm putting you in the same category, but, but we believe we have a theological conviction about something and we want to love them at the same time. Yeah. How, how do we approach that? Well, I think the first thing we got to do is embrace the tension. Because mm. unfortunately, I think a lot of people run from the tension because nobody likes tension. Mm. Tension is uncomfortable. And I'm pretty sure everybody watching this right now, you are either on one side or the other. Either you're all about grace or you're all about truth. Um, Jesus came full of both grace and truth, according to John chapter 1, verses 14 and 17. And so unfortunately, because we don't want to live in this tension, you know, we take sides. Jesus never took sides. Mm. Jesus said, I'm standing for both. You know, it's like a rubber band. You can't just say I'm all about the truth over here. It's like holding a rubber band right by one side. It's flimsy. It's weak. You can't say that you're all about, uh, you know, a theological issue over here. You know, it's weak. It's flimsy. But here's the deal. If you say, hey, I'm all about the grace and the truth, the power is in the tension of the two, right? Mm. And it's not like our theology isn't already filled with tension. One God, Trinity, like there's no tension there. Yeah, there's Jesus tension Jesus is fully God, fully man. The Bible is written by people, but by God. So we have this tension. And part of embracing the tension of grace and truth is also making sure that our churches and our relationships are places where people feel welcomed and invited, where people feel like they can belong, where it's safe. Uh, really, in our church, what we want to do is we want to create an environment where people can belong before they believe. Hmm. Not pronouncing salvation on anyone, but I'm pretty sure, just a little sure, <laughs> that when Jesus called Matthew, I'm pretty sure that when, G when Matthew came into discipleship with Jesus, Matthew probably didn't go to synagogue every Sabbath, right? No. Pretty hey, sure Matthew, Peter and Andrew probably skipped. They had a couple of issues. I mean, as a matter of fact, even when Paul's giving instructions on speaking in tongues in Corinthians, he says, hey, don't do this without an interpreter. Be careful in the worship services. Why? Because if an unbeliever is among you, they will think you're out of your mind. So even back then, Paul had this expectation that people who weren't of faith or unchurched or whatever we want to call them mm. will be in our midst and we need to be intentional. And so I believe that if we want to tell people you need to primarily identify with Christ, you need to primarily identify with the church community, and, and people are going to do that, we need to give people a chance to actually experience the church community. And nobody's going to leave another community or at least say, I'm not going to identify with this one over this one unless they get a chance to actually experience it. So, experience it. so we have to create this environment where people can belong before they believe hmm. or else... A lot of people aren't going to belong. So we've got people in our church that are in a same-sex relationship. They're coming in right now. They're saying, hold on a second. I'm not sure I agree with you theologically. Um, how, how do you deal with it at Discovery? What do you say to them? How are, we, how are we able to do the grace and truth tension? At the end of the day, if somebody's going to be there and they say, you know what, we like your church. We know where you stand on this issue but we still want to be there. How does it work? Well, here's what we do. We have many, many different conversations. Hmm. We don't pronounce rules on people or anything, but it's important to have conversations because when you have a conversation, you're inviting somebody to share their life story. And I don't think that people are shallow I think people may act shallow, but people really are not shallow. We are all just really a, a big ball of our experiences, our upbringings, our joys, our pains, um, things that we believe. 
uh, we're really an amalgam of so many things. Mm -hmm. So uh, for me to just treat people shallowly and say, well, this is how you identify or this is who you say you are, man, that's pushing people into a category. That's slapping a label on people. You want to do that. That hurts people. Mm -hmm. I mean, God spent too much time creating us in unique ways, every single one of us, for us to categorize anybody or put a label on anybody. So I'm very, very careful about that. And I realize that we have to have conversations that are intentional. And I think we also have to realize that uh, not everybody's going to agree theologically. Hmm. I mean, even on our staff, we have staff members that don't agree with each other theologically. Many people in our church come from different backgrounds. And they may not agree with us on every point theologically. But there are th some things where we just have a black and white standing on. Yeah. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You would agree. Yeah. God is triune. There is a trinity. Uh, Jesus is the only way to God. I mean, these are the things that drive us. But I think that when we try to make people that you know simple, it doesn't work. And I understand that when we talk about this issue... There are some people who think that you can be in a same-sex relationship, and based on some scholarship today and some different books that people have written, there's nothing wrong with it. And then there are people that say, no, there definitely is something wrong with it. I think that we have to realize that there is sin involved in everything when it comes to probably gray matters and black and white issues. Well, there's also truth. And I think we have to handle people in love and realize that not everybody's going to agree theologically, but that does not mean in any way, shape, or form that we ever alienate people. Mm, doesn't mean we don't love them. No, and, and really what we're talking about here is there's a big difference between acceptance and approval. Mm. There's a huge difference. I mean, there are a lot of Christians who think, well, my friend uh, identifies as LGBT. My son just joined a gang. Uh, this person over here uh, made this unwise financial choice. Uh, you know, I don't know that I can accept them. Uh, th my daughter just came out to me. I I've just got to push her away because if I love her, then she's going to think that I'm, ex you know, uh, liking Approving. what she's doing. Approving. And there's a big difference, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think in some sense we are called, mandated by Scripture to accept everybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 44 through 48, he says, hey, uh, you know, if you only love those who love you, what reward will you get? I mean, do not even pagan and tax collectors do that. Paul says in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Mm -hmm. So our acceptance and our living at peace with everybody does not depend on them or their behavior. It depends on us and how we process things and who we are and that kind of a thing. And we have to take responsibility for our own actions and our own ideas and how we treat people. Because every weekend, just like you, we have people that walk through our doors. I love our people, but I accept all of them. But we have people who make choices all the time where I wouldn't approve of that life choice. That I make choices all the time that I don't approve of that life choice. And so do you. You know, I mean, I, I, it's called sin. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so why, why have we made this issue the issue? Because we're afraid of it. Because it threatens this... Uh, nuclear family idea that we've set up. I mean, I think to a certain extent, here's what I believe. I believe that back in the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s, America put up on a pedestal the Leave it to Beaver family, mm. the Ozzie and Harriet family, uh, which again, I, I believe that marriage is between one man and one woman, but I think that America did a really good job of saying, hey, if you're going to have a biblical family and an American family, it's going to look like this. Mm. 
And I remember in a conversation with Jim Daly, who's the president of Focus on the Family, he said, you know, I was not raised by three gay parents, but growing up in the 60s, I w- was the son of a single mother, and I got made fun of all the time. Mm-hmm. And you look at the Leave it to Beaver days and the Ozzie and Harriet days, and you see that there are so many times where nobody acknowledges the single-parent families. Nobody acknowledges people in the foster system. Nobody acknowledged the abuse that was going on. Nobody acknowledged the fact that many families were working two or three jobs. And nobody could ever live up to these expectations. And I think to some degree Christians have been trying to preserve this idea. And culture has gone all the way over here. And because this ideal failed, we're over here on this side. And now here's what culture is saying. Whatever works for you, you do it. I think that there's a fear of acknowledgement of reality. I think there's also a fear of not understanding Uh, people who are part of the LGBT community. And so many Christians think that if you're part of the LGBT community, that just means that uh, you're all about who you want to have sex with, that you're all about Mm same-sex intimacy. Mm -hmm. But, Tim, I know of a lot of LGBT couples that live together, they're not even sexually intimate. Mm -hmm. That, That for them, the bond that they have is not even about physical intimacy It's about emotional intimacy in a sense. And so I think that, again, a lot of Christians are afraid of thinking deeper because they're afraid that somehow they'd be giving ground over Mm. or something. They'd be losing a conservative, quote-unquote, edge. And yet, again, when you see Jesus, Jesus said a lot of things that really spooked the religious leaders of his day. You know, like, for instance, picking grain on the Sabbath. Well, you're breaking the law. Well, hold on. Listen. The Sabbath was made for humanity. Humanity was not made for the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And so I think what Jesus did there was he didn't, ref- he didn't argue against the law. He said, let's look at this from a different perspective. Let's look at a deeper think, issue. Yeah, and I think that a lot of Christians need to look at this from a deeper perspective, from a different perspective that they haven't looked at before. Because when you do that, maybe you might see a different glimpse, and maybe you might see the person. Maybe you might see that they really are people. But again, a lot of Christians don't want to do that. They're afraid. They don't understand it. They feel like they're giving up ground if they do that. And because of that, we keep on pushing people into categories, slapping labels on people, because then we're able to protect our ground without actually rolling up our sleeves right here and getting involved in the Mm -hmm. lives of other people. Mm -hmm. I know that Jesus is the answer. You know that Jesus is the answer. I know that truth is the answer. I just talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And, And yet... I've very rarely ever seen anybody give their life to Jesus and all of a sudden all their junk went away and all their problems went away, and especially when it comes to this issue. So even, even for your parents, this is not, is, there's not like some end to this story where, you know, all of a sudden they gave their life to Jesus and now they've decided to become heterosexual and, and live the rest of their life. This is a, this is a deeper issue. Um, when when somebody's coming to Jesus, whether it's me, you, anybody else, whatever our stuff is, I believe in the healing power of Jesus, but I also believe in a process of figuring out how to live my life going forward. And I'm still doing it. I've been doing it all my life. What do you tell a person um, that's listening to us now, two groups of people, one, uh, a, a, a person who says, I just think you guys are wrong on this, I, you know, we should all just love everybody and not worry about it. And the other one is, uh, I'm, a, I'm a same-sex attracted person. What do I do now? Here's what I would tell everybody watching this 
Just like I told my leaders at Discovery Church the weekend that Messy Grace released, I said, I'm willing for you to be uncomfortable when it comes to this issue because we need to be uncomfortable because the power lies within the tension of grace and truth. And it's lazy to take sides. It hurts people when we take sides, whether it's just grace or truth. I think that immature Christians take sides, but I think that mature Christians are okay with tension. And so there are going to be times when we're all uncomfortable. I told our people at our church, some of you do not affirm same-sex relationships, and you're going to be uncomfortable when you see a same-sex couple holding hands in the lobby. And that's okay. I'm willing for you to be uncomfortable with that because they need to be there just as much as you do. You both need to be there. I need to be there. And there are going to be some people who are really upset that there are individuals who don't affirm same-sex relationships or the same-sex relationship that they may be in, but they're going to be uncomfortable during times when I may preach a marriage series and I only refer to husband and a wife. Not going out of my way to be a jerk or shame anybody, but they may feel uncomfortable at times. There are going to be some people who are single or celibate because of their biblical conviction, and they're going to be uncomfortable because we want to create a place where people can come and carry a difficult burden. Whatever that burden is, whatever they're struggling with, they could uh, be dealing with addiction or depression or loneliness or whatever. All of us have difficult burdens that we need to deal with. And yet there are going to be other people that are going to be uncomfortable, the people that just don't know what to think about this issue. Because you've got so many different people with different ideas on it. And I think we really need to take it back to the word and we need to remember our love for God and our love for people. And so I really believe that our churches need to be places where we can create margin for people to accept the gospel and have the gospel transform their lives, even if they're saved. But I think we need to give God margin too. God needs that margin as well. Yeah. Salvation is instantaneous. The process there is just that. Mm. It's a process. Yeah. We shouldn't it rush it. It's a continual process. Absolutely. So somebody, uh, somebody listening probably is, is going to say, my son, my daughter just came out, and I don't know what to do. What do, what do you tell them? I know you have this conversation a lot. Yeah. Here's what I would say. I would say, love your child. Love your child. You know, like I said, peace does not depend on you. Romans 12, 18, Paul says, hey, if at all possible, live at peace with everybody. If you only love those who love you, what reward will you get? Jesus said that in Matthew 5, 44 through 48. I mean, listen, your love for another individual should not depend on their behavior. And so I tell people this all the time. If somebody comes out to you, whether it's a son or a daughter or a friend or whoever, don't get mad. Why would you get mad? This is not a time to get mad. Mm. I mean, if anything, a person coming out to you, they're trusting you. Yeah. They're sharing something with you. Whether or not you agree with it or not, they're giving you a gift. They're, they're sharing part of their life, and, and that's a big responsibility to handle. And, and don't look disappointed. I know that we can't always control our reactions, mm. but a lot of people look disappointed when that happens. And... You can't get that moment back. Okay, but some people are going to say, I'm afraid if I react out of love, they're not going to know that theologically my truth is different than where they're at. Here's the deal. If somebody cares enough about you to come out, I'm pretty sure they probably know you're not going to agree with them. Hmm. I mean, I tell parents that all the time. So you really think your son or daughter thinks all of a sudden you've had this magic epiphany where now you agree with them? They're willing to let you into this part of their life, even though they probably know you don't agree with them. I would say there's 99.999% chance they know that you won't agree with them. 
they don't need to know that you agree with them. They need to know that you love them mm. and that your love for them is not dependent on their behavior or whatever else. You know, that's why we need to say things like, listen, my love for you is based on you, not anything else. That's why we need to say, my love for you is based on God. I mean, God loves me. I love you. This does not change our relationship. You know, don't go out and try to get them counseling. Don't go out and try to do this or that. Don't, don't throw Bible verses out at them. They already know. Don't compare. So many Christians compare. So many Christians say, well, listen, that's no different than murder or theft. Well, great. In their mind, there's nothing wrong with their life choice to be in a same-sex relationship. And what you've just done is compared them to Hannibal Lecter and Gordon Gecko. <laughs> Way to go, Christian. <laughs> yeah. And so really, here's what we need to do, Tim. Love them. Listen. Because the more you listen, I think the more influence you build. Mm. I, I just want to say thanks. Um, I know this has been a crazy journey for you. I know that being a pastor is like this one thing and then having this, this platform and doing this book and you're doing a lot of traveling and all those kinds of things. We want you to know that we're praying for you. I'm looking forward to being with your people in a few months. Yeah. And um, I love that we get to do this together. We're going to be praying for you and know that... Um, you're making a difference in the kingdom. If there's, if there's one person listening to this that says, oh, maybe Christians don't hate me, the whole thing is worth it. Absolutely. That's what I want. I want healed relationships. I want people to love people no matter what. So let me talk. Um, for whatever reason, we... Uh, do sometimes as Christian community, those of us who aren't struggling with same-sex attraction, want to put it in a put this whole issue in a category that makes it separate from everything else. And it's perplexing to me because the brother of Jesus, James, said, "Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it." In other words, if you're hanging over the side of a cliff and you're holding onto a chain, it doesn't matter if three links break or one link breaks; you're still going to fall. That's why everybody needs Jesus. Now, I do believe that Jesus designed marriage and God designed marriage to be one man and one woman. Here's what Jesus said. Haven't you read that at the beginning? The Creator made them male and female, and He said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one flesh. Now, I know that God set it up that way. I also know that God has allowed for differences in that plan. I mean, for example, divorce is not supposed to happen according to that plan. And God hates divorce. And Jesus said there were some reasons why. There were reasons for some biblical divorces. But as a whole, God did not like divorce. And yet, he allowed Moses to allow the people to get divorced. And it was really only to take care of women because what they were doing was just dumping their women and moving on to the next one. So God allowed divorce, but, but divorce is not in his plan. I know that God allowed polygamy, right? We, we understand this. I mean, Abraham, our, our, our fathers of our faith, had multiple wives. Again, it was to take care of the wives in the community, but that's not one man, one woman for a lifetime. I understand that. In the Old Testament, if your brother died and your wife couldn't find another husband, you were supposed to, that was biblical, it was biblical law to bring her into your home. I don't know if anybody ever did it, but that was the law. Now, here's the point, okay? Uh, I, I'm not God, and I'm not Moses. So far, I haven't, you know, I haven't had that calling. 
So I'm not willing to decide if God is going to give me a way out uh, from one man, one woman for a lifetime on this issue. I believe he set it up this way. So you're willing to disagree with me? That's great. That's fine. You're glad for you to be here. Our church will not be doing gay weddings. We'll not do same-sex weddings because of our conviction on this issue. Uh, there are a lot of churches out there that will. You know, you can figure that out. But, but, and there are a lot of scriptures we could point to. The, the problem is if you're a believer and you want to argue this with somebody from the LGBT community, you don't need to pull out the Bible for the most part. They've already read those scriptures. There's plenty of them in there. Leviticus, Romans, um, there's plenty of scriptures in there. And they've already heard them. And they've already decided either that they didn't want to believe the Bible or that they've been interpreted the wrong way. All right? But I want to read one that's really important to me because it kind of helps, I think, summarize all of this for us. Do you not know, this is the Apostle Paul, this is New Testament, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? I kind of like that because it just starts out wrongdoers. Like anybody not in that category? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, that looks tough. Okay, look at that list. Anybody not on that list? I mean, I know you were looking for one thing and you're like, or lesbians off the list. No, no, you're missing a point, okay? You were looking for that one thing because you knew that that was probably going to be in there. But let me ask you a question. Again, any wrongdoers in here? Any any sexually immoral people? Don't put your hand up. Just keep them down. (laughs) That was close. But you know what? It really wasn't because we could all put our hand up. Jesus said, if you look at a, another person and you lust for them, you've committed adultery in your heart, okay? So really, we all could put our hands up on that one. Any slanderers in here? Have you ever been to a women's Bible study? <laughs> Sorry, i got to add some humor in here somewhere. Come on. Guys, I'm on that list. I'm not going to tell you where and how many times, but I'm on that list, okay? And because of it, I don't deserve to inherit the kingdom of God. And we're all on that list. Any sin, any one thing that breaks that chain means we all fall. And that's why we shouldn't be talking about the sin. We should be talking about sin. That's why Caleb's book, and if you're interested in this, I really recommend his book, Messy Grace. Um, messy grace, that's what it's called. That's why it is messy. Grace is always messy. It was messy for Jesus when he was hanging out with the people that nobody else wanted to be around. And I really recommend going on Amazon and grab that. Let me point out that, that Jesus does not, that, that the Bible does not talk about sexual orientation being a sin or temptation being a sin. Jesus was tempted in all points just like we were, yet was without sin. It's behavior. It's, it's what we do with those temptations. But the truth be told, we're all sinners in this room. That, that's all there is to it. There's nobody in this room, there should be nobody that, that feels like they could stand up with a sign that says God hates you because that makes it sound like I'm better than you because somehow God doesn't hate me. 
Because my sin, again, what do we talk about? Gracism. That's what I talked about in Life on Mission. That's gracism. Your sin is it's not about the color of your skin. It's about the color of your sin. We all stand in a place where we should not inherit the kingdom of God. And my friend Gene Apple says, can we throw out that phrase that Christians throw around, love the sinner, hate the sin? I, I mean, that's just so dumb. Can we ban that from our vocabulary? Because the point is true, but it sounds very condescending. It's like, well, I'm, I'm going to love the sinner, but I'm going to hate the sin. Like, you're talking about somebody else. Here's what you ought to do. You ought to love the sinner and hate your own sin. That's what Gene says. I think that's right. Love the sinner and hate your own sin. Because Jesus said, until you get the log out of your eye, you shouldn't be po- poking around for the sawdust inside of somebody else's. All right? So before God, we're not gay or straight or bisexual or transgender. We're just broken. That's what we are. And that's the tension of following Jesus. And that's why I love the rest of this passage. This passage goes on and talks about how every one of us need the amazing, messy grace, and there is no them and us, right? Nothing, I mean, how are we not on here? Greedy, slanderers, drunkards, swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look at this verse again. Do not... Do you not know, wrongdoers, don't be deceived, neither sexually immoral, adulterers, idolaters, adulterers, men who have sex with men, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and that is what some of you were. And probably ought to say that's what all of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. This is why the implications are clear. God is still in the business of transforming people, broken people, like Tim Harlow, and doing for me what I could never do for myself. So some of you, um, you have family members who've come out and you're struggling with it, okay? We just want you to know, we just don't stand up here and go, okay, you just got to love them. I mean, I know there's more to it than that. We actually have a, a great group. It's a support group called Love Well. And it's, uh, it meets at the Orland campus. If you're at the Homer campus, we welcome you to come over. It's led by parents of gay and lesbian children, and it's a place where you can talk through some of the challenges and struggles that you're having. And I'd love to get you connected because we're not just going to say, you know, go out there and love people. We're going to help you. I understand, okay? I understand what a challenge it is. But here's, where, here's how this all came back around for me. You know that I'm on an emotional wreck right now because my youngest daughter's getting married in June. And um, the problem is I keep traveling. I just pretty much any time I'm not here on a weekend, I'm preaching at another church uh, doing my Life on Mission program, which is all about this. It's all about how we're supposed to be witnesses of the good news of Jesus, and we're supposed to go out and do this. And I was doing that last weekend in, uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm not stupid. If, I, you know, if I'm going to go preach somewhere else, it's going to be somewhere warm. And, um, and, and, I, and after the service, and I always tell my, my story about losing Becca on the beach when she was four, this one that's getting married in June. I always tell the story everywhere I go, whenever I do the Life on Mission stuff, because it's the key to me. If you're the father and your prodigal son or daughter is lost somewhere, nothing else matters than to get them home. Nothing else matters. Now, part of the story I also always tell is when I finally found her about a half a mile down from where we were all hanging out, she took one look at me and started crying. Why? Because she knew she was lost. 
She didn't need me to have a picket sign. She didn't need need me to have a megaphone. She needed me to wrap my arms around her and love her. And I told this story, and the guy came up to me after the service last week, and he said, thank you for giving me permission to love people. And I thought, what have we become? I mean, you're welcome, and I'm, I'm glad that you got it. But what have we become? I mean, if I'm God... And those are my children out there that are lost. Why would anybody need to give you permission to love them? I can't imagine. We're all broken people. 